the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question, I'd love to hear from you. Just shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. It's chad at chadburton.com. Here at EP Wealth have team of over 60 certified financial planners, deep bench of knowledge, different areas all over the place from college planning to real estate analysis, estate planning. It's all fair game. So shoot me your questions, chad at chadburton.com. I like to check in during earnings season. Um, so we're you know 26 days through this quarter. And so far, about 25% of the companies in the S&P 500 have reported their earnings results and their revenue results for Q2 2021. And so far, about 88% of the S&P 500 have reported positive surprise uh, when it comes to earnings per share. And 86% have reported pretty positive revenue surprises out there. So 86 of the companies out there with a decent size in revenue beats. That, you know, that's sales. This is better than expected top line. Um, now, obviously... We've got to look at overall valuations, right? And according to Earnings Insight, you can always Google this stuff too because it's you can actually pull up this PDF for free, Earnings Insight. Look at it every Monday because they publish it later in the day on Friday during earnings season. The forward 12-month price-to-earnings ratio right now for the S&P 500, 21.3. So it's come down a little because earnings estimates have gone up. 21.3. The PE ratio is above the five-year average of 18.1 and above the 10-year average of 16.2. So it's showing you the S&P 500 is not cheap in terms of forward price-to-earnings ratio. Not at all. Now, there's some pretty high expectations. Now, what can affect earnings? So look, you've got revenue, then you've got all of your costs, and then you got your profit, right? And so (laughs) you can have sales increase, but if your costs go up, such as your labor costs that can eat into your earnings per share. And we are all seeing and hearing the talks of higher wages, which is good. There's been a, if if you look at truly at gas and oil prices over a longer term chart and wages at the lower end in terms of the, you know, whether it's the restaurant worker or the blue collar worker, they just haven't gone up enough. They really haven't to keep up with some of the costs, the other costs that are out there. Now, there's certain inflation that just hasn't been there, right? Rob and I used to joke about when's the last time you played more more money for a DVD player. No, DVD player is always 
you know, were cheaper and cheaper every single year. And then also none of us used them anymore. So there's certain types of stuff that deflated like technology. Um, but wages just never increased. And so you're seeing a lot of that push out there right now as people that live in places like, well, obviously San Francisco, but even Portland, Oregon and Denver and things like that. They can't live on a 15 hour, $15, 12 hour, $12 an hour job. So you're seeing wages go up. Now, can profit margins handle some wage inflation out there? That's going to be one of the questions, right? Well, the, I guess the biggest question is now the S&P 500, if you look at the return of the price of the S&P 500 plus dividends, up over 18% for the years I'm doing this show. That's pretty good, right? That's, that, that's a lot. So we're already pulled forward a lot of expectations of next year. Price for perfection, to say the least. Now, let's talk about whether or not profit margins can handle some wage inflation and some of the increased commodity costs. Which, which commodity costs are going to be transitory? Who knows? I mean, lumber went way up and it's already come way back down. But the supply chain is still broken, so certain costs are still going up. But what's interesting is that the blended, uh, according to FactSet, Earnings Insight, and, and again, only 25% of the companies have reported so far, but the blended, which combines actual results for companies that have reported and estimated results for companies that have yet to report, the blended net profit margin for the S&P 500 for Q2 is expected to be 12.4%, which is above the year-ago net profit margin and above the five-year average net profit margin at 10.8. So if any time you could handle a little bit of wage inflation increase and still maintain that nearly double-digit profit margins, it's back right now. In fact, back in 2016, profit margins were under about 10%. Right? So you got to, again, look forward and say, look, the market's up 18-plus percent for the year so far on the S&P 500. And a lot of that had to do with the, the tech trade You know, was being outrun by the rotation trade into financials and energy and value stocks, things like that, the reopening trade. And tech was kind of down and then it rallied back up. And so when a good chunk of the S&P 500 is tech, there you go. So if you're retiring in five years, if you're retired now, you need to have that very careful retirement plan analysis, cash flow, how much are you going to be drawing from your portfolio and over and above your dividends and interests? Three years worth of that should be in safe, safe money somewhere. Um, so that if we do have a market correction, you're still going to be able to retire and you won't ever have to sell if the stock market is down. And if we get the Delta 19, the Delta variant, you know, doesn't become the fourth slash fifth wave, whatever wave it is, um, and we continue this reopening, we could be in, you know, a longer term bull market. There's no reason why we can't. Stocks can seem expensive for a long period of time, but money in the stock market is money that you don't need for five plus years. So think about that. And as long as you have a plan in place so that if there is a market correction, you have the ability to either buy some more or live off of the cash and the dividends and interest and other income like social security and rental or whatever, and you don't have to sell, you'll be fine. It's just that forcing to sell because you have to pay expenses, not a good thing. Uh, you know, I do get concerned when people start to justify ridiculous valuations. I don't think we're ridiculous valuations yet though. There's certain pockets of speculation out there like uh, you know, some of the meme stocks and stuff that people are trading I've mentioned 16-year-olds with uh, Robinhood accounts and things like that, where 
there's pockets of speculation out there. I mean, certain even small cap growth areas. I went from touting small cap back in March and April because it way overcorrected. Now we're having to trim in some cases. But a lot of times it's like, where do we put our money, right? If you get, if you have cash, you've got Ally Bank, ALY, which is like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6% or something like that. I think it's 0. 0.5 now, probably coming down. Um, all the online banks have come down recently. Ally kind of kept ahead of Capital One 360. So you got cash at half a percent. You've got the overall bond market. So if you look at your 401k, most people in their 401k has a total, they have a total stock or total bond market index fund that they can invest in. And you can look at the Vanguard ETF BND and see that that total bond market index fund or ETF rather is yielding about 1.97%. But then you look at something like VIG, which is Vanguard's dividend achiever ETF. That's all stocks. It's a basket of stocks like Microsoft, JP Morgan, Johnson & Johnson, Walmart, Visa, United Healthcare, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, Oracle, Abbott Labs, Pepsi, Nike, Accenture, and Broadcom. And that's just to name a couple. That ETF of stocks is yielding 1.51%. So a lot of people that don't need the money for 10 plus years are like, why would I own the bond yielding 1.97 when I can hold stocks yielding from 1.51%? Because most of those names, most of us would probably agree that 10 years from now, they're probably going to be worth more. But the BND isn't going to have 10, 20, 30% corrections like we see with a, a stock fund. So you have to be ready for the ride. If you're going to go that route and say, I'm going to go into stocks, even though the PE ratio is more expensive than it has been over the last 10 years because bonds are historically low, you have to be ready for the volatility and stomach and be really ready to buy more when you have 10, 20, 30% corrections. I don't know when they're going to happen. It did happen every five to seven years. You got to treat them as a buying opportunity. Lots of 1031 exchange questions lately. You know, I think people that have owned real estate for a long time in the Bay Area have seen these prices jump and then they're looking at their rental properties. And it's, it's really a simple exercise. If you divide your net rental income by the value that you could sell that thing for, you're like, oh, that's a two or 3% income. Yeah, that's not great. That's, that's really bad when it comes to real estate. Um, so some people are like, I'm cashing in on this. Um, couple of issues though, you know, obviously you got tax issues for an older couple. One of the issues that you can think about is like, let's say somebody's in their late seventies, early eighties, and they're just tired of a rental property, right? They're tired of managing it. They're tired of dealing with it. But right now in the state of California, if you, you're a married couple and it's community property, when one person dies, the other person gets a step up at basis and everything, and they could turn around and sell it capital gain tax free. So that's something to consider. Maybe you should reconsider a better property manager, somebody that takes all of that away from you. And yeah, maybe your income's not the greatest now, but you kind of got to deal with the tax planning side of things. So there's a lot of things to consider when selling something. Um, so, and then gosh, there's one of my friends came to me and said, Hey, my dad, uh, sold uh, up in Oregon, um, a commercial property and, you know, two million bucks was a commercial property he bought for only a couple hundred grand, like 30, 40 years ago, operated his business on it and finally sold it. And he's thinking about doing a 1031 exchange. I'm like, well, you can't do that after you've already sold it. Yeah, there's some other things that, you, you, it, you know, there's opportunity zones and stuff like that, but the stuff's kind of expensive and 
and a little bit too much risk to try to take with a changing tax law. But if you're going to do what's called a 1031 exchange, where if you have a rental property and you want to sell it, any property used in trade or business, rental property, apartment, uh, raw land can qualify. But most of the time what I'm seeing is people that own, lately it's been apartment buildings, fourplexes and, and things like that. And if you're going to think about doing a 1031 exchange, it has to be known from the beginning before you list the property, you need to tell the real estate agent, I'm going to do a 1031 exchange because the exchange process may must be facilitated by a qualified intermediary. That's the professional who actually executes the exchange. So they hold the proceeds from the property you sell until they're reinvested into the replacement property. Right. So thinking about a 1031 exchange is, has to be done well before you list and sell it. Right. Here's another type of scenario that I've that I've seen, um, and I, this is this is that you know 78 year old situation. I want out of my apartment building. I don't want to manage anything. I don't want to get the calls. I don't want to fix the toilet. I don't want to deal with the contractors that screw up. I don't want to pay taxes though. <laughs> I'm 78 years old. I'm tired of managing this thing, but yet I don't want to pay taxes. Well. My initial response is always, again, new property manager. Why don't you get a new property manager? And this one guy said, you know what? The people have been there so long. They still they already have my cell phone number. They're calling me anyways. And then the property manager that I used called in a contractor. He screwed up the kitchen tile. I had to go in and fix the kitchen tile anyway. And, and I'm just over it. And so he's, he's like, what, what about 1031 exchange options? Now... Most of the time, that doesn't get you anywhere because you're going from one one property to another, and you're still managing. Now, maybe in this case situation, this person could go somewhere else, out of state, um, you know, where nobody knows them, and the only phone number people have is a good property manager that actually handles everything for them, and kind of start over. Um, but this guy just doesn't want to do anything else. They want something that they can 1031 exchange into and just kick back and take some income, like a triple net lease idea. And there's some things out there I'm going to talk about and warn you about a little bit, but what do you have to do in a 1031 exchange situation? So again, you've got to, before you sell, you have to work with that qualified intermediary, let everybody know both sides of the transaction you're doing 1031 exchange. And then within 45 calendar days, you must identify the exchange properties in writing. And there's like there's a there's different rules. There's a three property rule, there's a 200% rule, there's a 95% rule. You got you have to get to know these rules really, really well if you're gonna do it and figure out what they are. And then you've got to close on the replacement property or properties, because you could do, you know, one property and a multiple if you do it the right way, within 180 calendar days of the closure for the relinquished property. So it's 180 calendar days. Keep that in mind. A lot of people have made mistakes in the past where they say, oh, that's six months, and then they have the date wrong on the calendar. So I've heard horror stories about that. The other thing that you have to realize is if you have any debt reduction in the 1031 exchange, it's considered boot. Isn't that a weird name? Boot, B-O-O-T. Because additional value is received by you, the investor, rather than putting the entire value of the wrinkless property into the replacement property. So reducing your debt liability effect is an increase in income, which is taxable. So you have to work with your advisors to say, okay, if you're not 1031 exchanging, um, you, you know, if you're if you're planning on paying off the debt after the sale or something like that, that could cause a taxable event where maybe there's a way to do it prior and, and redo your debt prior to doing this. 
And what can you go into without managing it? What can you go into in terms of a deal? And I'm telling you, 28 years in the business, I've heard way more horror stories on this kind of stuff than I've had really positive outcomes. Because typically when these things happen, where people want to get out of their highly appreciated real estate and relinquish their management duties and go into something else, it tends to be at the top of markets. So a lot of this was happening in 2006 and 2007, prior to the Great Recession. And people were doing a 1031 exchange of their rental properties into ticks, tenants in common. And a lot of tenants in common, ticks, or you know these kind of deals of groups of people where you invest in a property with multiple people and through a tenants in common structure, a lot of tick members were unable to reach unanimous decisions when property managers needed to deal with tenants disappearing and uh, valuing values plummeting and and debt issues. And so, if you can't, if you had like 50, 60 people, ten thirty one exchanging their individual properties into a tick, thinking they were done, and all of a sudden they're trying to vote on stuff with forty nine other people you don't know. That was a big issue. And a lot of those things blew up for people. And and that's kind of sad. In the wake of tick troubles through the Great Recession, many banks refused to lend on assets and tick structures. So you get these things called Delaware Statutory Trusts or DSTs. They were approved as a 1031 exchange option in 2004 by the IRS. And that's what a lot of the kind of those ideas of, hey, I can 1031 exchange my fourplex in San Jose into something either one big single one or a diversified group of them, that's where you're hearing 1031 exchange into Delaware Statutory Trust. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about it after the break. I, I'm just going to say again, you know, in case you get out of your car, you're not listening or you're at the gym listening to the podcast and you know, somebody comes to talk to you, forget. You have to know what the fees are because a lot of these things are sold by commission-based salesmen and there's a lot of hidden fees in there. You got to be careful. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. So talking today a little bit about real estate and we do a lot of, you know, we, we do a lot of stuff when it comes to real estate at EP. We have a couple different software packages that help our clients that have actively managed funds with us um, and financial planning clients. Um, you know, a lot of them have real estate. And oftentimes you get people where, yeah, they've, they've saved enough money to meet our account minimum on the investment side, but a lot of their net worth might be in rental properties that they accumulated over the years and they want to retire. But when we project out their cash flow and we're drawing from their accounts to make up for what their rental income doesn't cover, we start to see that after inflation comes into play 15, 20 years down the road, they may have to start liquidating some of their properties in order to meet their obligations and have enough liquid assets. And so you want to know that well in advance because if you had a situation like that, maybe you have six or seven rental properties and you know within five years or so, you're going to need to sell one of them in order to get enough cash to do the other things that you need to do in life. Whether it's meet normal expenses, whether it's do a remodel, whether it's pay for weddings or colleges and things like that. Well, I bet your for sale sign would probably be up now because you're like, okay, I know where real estate prices are now. I don't know where they're going to be in three years. 
let alone five. So maybe you take some off the table now. And it's good to see that in your cash flow, but you also see, need to see how does that affect you cash flow wise? What are the tax issues? You have a capital gain, you have a recapture of depreciation, you have state and federal taxes and how that all plays out. You need to see how that works in your overall cash flow. And you need to identify which property is probably the best one to, to get rid of. And that's based on location, it's based on uh, your income, your net income, your return on equity, your return on investment, all these different numbers that you can run to look at it. And so that's really part of a good financial plan. Uh, or you get to a, late, a stage later in life. And man, if you've known anybody that has rental properties, you will hear some horror stories. And we talk about that too. A lot of people get into retirement like, well, maybe I want to get into real estate. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about some of the horror stories. You guys have heard me talk about them on air. You've heard Rob talk about personal ones himself that he's had. I haven't had a super bad one yet or anything like that yet, but I've definitely had clients that dad where I told you the one that um, the guy stopped paying rent, ended up on drugs, and then basically before he, his eviction date, about a month and a half before, he just dumped a bunch of milk in the sink and a bunch of dog food on the floor and left his cat and his dog in the house for over a month. You can imagine the damage that they did and the smell. The whole thing had to be gutted. And so there's, there's a lot of problems that can come from rental. But at the same time, you know, you can, it's, it's a great asset class. I like stocks better. And, but when I can buy a rental property with 20, 30% down and somebody else pays it off for me over time, that's, that's great leverage. And it's some decent tax benefits if you, if you do it right. It's not as good as you think if you're a high income earner. You, you, you have to do it right. But getting back to the idea of, hey, you're that 80 year old or 75 year old, maybe 65 year old, and you're, you're trying to get out of the property management business or you're, you want to get out of California. You want to sell a property, but you don't necessarily want to pay the taxes now. Um, you could do a 1031 exchange. And a lot of these 1031 exchange options out there set up as Delaware statutory trusts. And, be, and the reason why you're seeing that name, the Delaware statutory trust or DST, is because back in the Great Recession, the ticks where people said, hey, you got a rental property? Yeah. Well, you can, you know, identify it with your agent that you want to do a 1031 exchange. And once you sell it, you use the qualified intermediary and you can do a 1031 into this tick and you can have a income on a building owned by uh, or rented at least out to Taco Bell or 7-Eleven or CVS or whatever it may be. Some some really well-known names. Um, and But also there's some really crappy strip mall ones. And the thing I will point out is a lot of these things, when you get them through a broker dealer, a non-fee-only fiduciary-based advisor, there is a heck of a lot of commissions. There's some that do it you can do directly. But if you're going through these things and then going through another salesperson on top of that, I've seen fees on these things as high as 14% on the front end on commissions. And it's, the unfortunate thing is you don't really see it because you, you go into it and you're getting income and then all, all seems well until it's not. And then back in the Great Recession, when there was tenant issues and people saying, no, I don't want to pay this leases anymore. I want to renegotiate down. There were certain cases where all of the tenants in common had to vote on issues and they couldn't agree or people wouldn't vote or whatever. And they just ended up losing the property or foreclosing or, or whatever it may be. So the, da- the Delaware Statutory Trust is one of those options. Unlike ticks, um, 
which require unanimous approval of anything related for investors or all major decisions, DSTs have an appointed trustee who resides over the investment. Investors in the DST have no direct control or decision-making authority with respect to the investment. The trustee who oversees the asset has limited power to exercise over the investment. And there's one site, um, what's it called here? Let's see. Oh, there's so many sites that deal with this. I think one of them was like Realty Mulgrew or something like that. Um, seven did, deadly sins of a DST. But you, you got to have a lot of trust, right? You, you, this isn't something where you can sell your $2 million uh, you know, fourplex or $4 million fourplex in San Jose and fully trust this DST and the, the trustee. And you really have to look into these things and figure out what are the costs? What are the dangers? Am I going into one major property? Or in some cases, some DSTs have several properties inside the investment, which could be nice because as those properties are sold, they can return that to you. And so some people are using these things, okay, I'm going to sell now, but I'm going to move to Nevada or Washington, Arizona. And then as the the properties inside this thing get sold, that's when I'll kind of take the money back out and pay the taxes at that time when I'm not facing state income taxes. Just keep in mind that certain states like Washington are trying to put in capital gains taxes and other things like that. But there are some options out there. If people are trying to get out of that rental property, they don't want to buy something new. Um, They got too much going on. Again, it's me personally, if I had something that was totally overpriced right now, um, I would just look in other areas. I would look to do a 1031 exchange, but go into other faster growing areas which is harder to find now because I was telling a lot of clients to go up to you know the Northwest and whether it be Camas, Washington, Salmon Creek, Ridgefield, and these places that were just looked way cheaper than everywhere. Else. And those just rallied significantly. So those people that did that were happy, that's for sure. It's not as great um, you know, ROI these days. It's, it's harder to find good deals. But you can kind of see where people are moving and where they're wanting to buy and where it's not outrageously expensive to live like it is in the Bay Area. And so personally, if I had something that was like, oh, this is way too... I'm going to take the gains off the table and find other places to invest. I'd probably just do it myself. But right, I'm in my... Gosh, it's hard to say that now, but I'm in my late 40s. Um, and you know, if I was 65, I'm going to have a different probably thought in my head, I guess. I don't know how I'm going to be. Um, 75, 80, definitely. Because I, I, I'm constantly helping clients in their late 70s simplify their life. That's a lot of common themes. Like, hey, we've already built this wealth. We kind of want to enjoy it. We just want things to be easier. Had too many accounts spread all over the place. How do I c- consolidate them without paying taxes? Um, how do I increase my income, decrease my taxes, make sure it goes to my heirs? Right? How do I simplify life? And so some people look at these... 1031 into DSTs is a way to do that. There are some out there, but look, when you have when you get into these things, make sure you have a good team in place. You have a good certified financial planner that's a fee-only fiduciary that doesn't get a commission for selling this stuff, but they can help advise you on it, as well as your tax person and, and as well as the attorney. There's a lot of private real estate deeds and or deals and like trustee investments and stuff like that where like people put their money in there blindly. I'm like, have you had an attorney? Just verify who actually owns these properties. Like, if you check the deeds, it's it's surprising to me how much money I see flow into real estate deals based on trust. For an investment advisor, that's a fiduciary, a registered investment advisor, CFP fiduciary that that 
you know, we custody assets either Schwab, TD Ameritrade, or Fidelity. So the money never goes to us. We're just authorized on a person's account to trade the account. So there's not something fishy that can go on. The reason why somebody like Bernie Madoff was able to do what he did is because he created his own broker dealer and he was the investment advisor. So he was printing his own statements. You see what I mean? That doesn't happen in a relationship like with a registered investment advisor feeling it uses a good custodian like Fidelity Schwab or TD Ameritrade. With these real estate deals, though, it's 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 different. And I get a little bit concerned on what I see at the top of various markets. Um, and right now, it's a lot of people are actually looking to sell all of a sudden. And so a lot of these 1031 options, DSTs, ticks, whatever, are popping up. Just be very careful. Read everything. Have an attorney read everything. You're trying to make a decision with you know a million dollars or more in some cases. It doesn't it, it doesn't hurt to pay five ten grand for attorney even to look through it. So be very careful. Um, but at the same time, realize what your real estate is actually paying. Right? I'm seeing people. Oh, I get sixty grand a year out of my apartment that I'm renting out in Palo Alto, and when I actually do the math, oh, well, that's great. That's a two point three percent yield. So any additional return comes from the price appreciation. And do you think that's going to be 8% or more to keep up with stocks at these levels? We'll see. We shall see. Talking about real estate and things like that, people moving out of states, we do a lot of uh, scenarios for people um, that they're looking to move out of California. They're looking to move out of Oregon when they retire because they're going to pay a lot less taxes. When we do the actual analysis, when you go from earning a paycheck and paying taxes on everything to drawing on your investments where you're not paying taxes on cash, you're not paying taxes on the basis in your stocks, and you can control what comes out of your IRAs and 401ks, a lot of times the state income tax isn't as bad as you, as you may think. And you, before you give up that tax basis in your California property, because remember on Prop 19 now, you can, you, you know, can move all over the state um, and have much more availability to change your location without crushing yourself property tax-wise. But if you sell and leave, you don't come back in time, buying a new property in California is going to kill you on property taxes. So really do a careful tax analysis before you make a decision to move out. Here's what a lot of people are doing, though. You can be like, my dad moved to Ecuador, and I was reading this article on the top 10 places now to retire outside the U.S. So I'll give you a quick update on that. Number 10 was Vietnam. Nine was Malta. Eight is France, believe it or not. Going through some crazy lockdowns last year. Very, very tough. Had a client in France and boy, it was, it was rough. Seven is Malaysia. Six is Ecuador where my dad lives. He lives in a farm outside of Cuenca and really loves life. I, I would rather go towards more towards the coast, like uh, closer to where people launch out for the Galapagos. Uh, and my sister and brother live there too. Um, five is Portugal. Four is Colombia, where I have a client that lives there as well and just loves life. Three is Mexico. Lots of different places you can go there, obviously. Two is Panama. And number one is Costa Rica, which I got to go travel to oh, in spring break. Um, and I tell you what, we, we started the volcanoes in Arnal and the hot springs and the volcanoes and the hiking up there were so amazing. And we only got to spend a little time on the coast. And I definitely want to go back to Costa Rica. And one of the things that I want to mention, uh, because I haven't talked about health for a while, but I know there's a lot of people that are 
scared of getting the vaccine because of inflammation issues, right? People that have caused, uh, that, that have read whatever, I've, I've not even read it myself, but I've had a couple of conversations about you know, people that are scared that, that it could cause inflammation and other things. And whether or not it's true, I don't know, that's up to you. But one of the things that comes up a lot when it comes to inflammation and fighting that, if that's one of your concerns, have you heard of, have you, have you ever talked about, thought about grounding issues? Do you have sleep issues <laughs> like I do? And I found out that when I started traveling again with my kids and as they were on Zoom classes and we were having to work remote anyway, any time that I was traveling, it was typically around a, you know beaches because we we're always trying to find a place to surf. And any time I would do that, I was sleeping like a baby. And it was because of the sand. It's because of earthing. Read some articles on earthing or grounding. And, and realize that there's some things on like, like you can buy some sandals, flip-flops, slippers, whatever you want to call them on Amazon where it actually grounds you to the earth. And even Nike had a shoe strap. You can sometimes find these shoes out there where people actually realize that grounding, also called earthing, a therapeutic technique that involves doing activities at ground or electro, electrically, electrically reconnect you to the earth. Now, this sounds a little bit silly, but look, I mean, there's a couple of things that your body really needs in terms of how to fight off free radicals and cancer and other things and inflammation and things like that. Alternating hot, cold therapy is really super healthy. Exercise, eating right, and grounding to the earth. And there's a cool site that has a lot of us. I haven't looked at what the site sells or does, but I was just kind of reading it. Uh, Harmony 783, we are all bioelectrical beings. Like a battery, we need to be recharged to function at optimal levels. Consider the earth as one enormous battery, which constantly emits a subtle electric charge and global frequencies, 7.83 hertz to be exact, um, in the electromagnetic field spectrum. I mean, there's a ton of science on this, guys. We can recharge by connecting to the ground's electric nutrition called electrons, which gives their surface a negative charge. And our bodies need electrons to function the way nature intended. That's why you get this term tree huggers. Tree huggers are healthy. That's why there's less cancer at places where people walk barefoot, especially in the beach and in the sun and stuff like that, as long as it's not skin cancer, I guess. But there's more than 20 research studies, um, like legit papers on this to substantiate the benefits of grounding, which include balance stress levels, increase energy, reduce inflammation, decrease chronic pain, improve sleep, lowers blood pressure, accelerates heating, synchronizes cortisol hormone secretion, which is huge when it comes to sleep. That's my issue. Improves alignment with the natural 24-hour circadian rhythm. So I kind of found this by accident and just being into health as much as I am, I didn't realize it was such an issue. But I was like, why every time I go surf and I'm on the beach and actually walking barefoot, why was I sleeping so much better? And I think that is absolutely why. So I, I noticed too on the weekends, just when I walk barefoot in the backyard um, at all, I'll sleep a lot better too. But when I'm in my you know, rubber-soled shoes or whatever, walking in the house all day and even you know, going out to the gym, getting exercise and everything else, and I never touch the ground at all, you just don't get that charge you need. So if you're worried about inflammation, you're worried about you know trying to stay youthful so you can enjoy that money that you spent, that you saved all these years for so that you're not in your 80s going to the doctors three or four times a week and reducing your ability to do the stuff you saved all that money for, you got to pay attention to your health. And I think that this is a 
a big one that a lot of us are missing is just standing outside, sand, dirt, gardening, just for a little bit each day to help reduce that inflammation. So check it out. Even just check out the grounding shoes on Amazon and see what you see and some of the the actual research behind this stuff. I think it's pretty cool. I hope you do too. You can give me feedback on, I haven't done any of these kind of like, you know, health segments in a while, but 28 years in the business, you can save all you want, but I've seen people that retire and then they don't pay attention to their health and they're actually miserable and wealthy. And that's not a good way to be. You want to be able to enjoy life first. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find the podcast on all different platforms at chadburton.com. Have a great day, everyone. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.